So if you'd like to turn to Matthew, just to Matthew chapter 15, I just want to speak just for a little while, not, not long at all, just for a little while uh, about another aspect of corporate prayer or things we can learn to help us with our enough uh, gatherings. And this uh, is the story, Matthew 15, 21 to 20. It's the story of Jesus and the, the faith of the Canaanite woman. It says, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she's crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now this is a really bizarre interaction. I'll try and just look at a few things from it, because I think it can teach us some things. And the first point to make is just in verse 21. It says, uh, Jesus went away from there, wherever he was previously, um, and withdrew to the district of Tyre, and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying. Now, the point I want to just make here is that this moment when Jesus met this Canaanite woman was not the result of Jesus sitting down with his disciples, getting a flip chart together and looking at the strategic uh, implementational plan of reaching the different nations within that region. He didn't have a drawn-up agenda to follow. This was the result of the providence of God. The providence of God is the compass that we follow. Jesus always said, I'm, I only do what the Father shows me. And what, what encourages me about this is that actually, even right from the beginning of the story, this is not an accidental meeting. This is not something that just happened. It says, and behold, a Canaanite woman was there, but God knew she was going to be there. The interaction was, was, was intended by heaven. There was something of God's purpose and plan involved in this. And I just want to make the, um, the point that sometimes providence looks like chance, but it isn't. Right? We don't believe, there's, there's all kinds of stuff at the moment being talked about open theism. It's just rubbish. Right? I, I, it's just, that's all I need to say. It's rubbish. Right? It's just it's rubbish. God providentially cares for his people. There is no such thing as random chance in the kingdom of God. It just isn't. It can look like, oh, and behold, a Canaanite woman. No, this is exactly what the father was doing. And I want to just make the point about... Um, uh, enough, and our prayer gatherings, our half nights of prayer, these are not the result of us sitting down around a table with a flip chart saying, now I wonder how we can just 
do something that just kind of gathers everyone together and just adds a little bit. No, there's a providential leading of God in this that almost, to be honest, we're catching up with as it's unfolding. You're thinking, goodness, this is bigger than we thought it would be. And now there's, I'm getting other people, other streams and spheres and people coming to me saying, oh, this thing you're doing, can we come and have a look at it? Because we perhaps quite like to do it. I think, oh, right, okay, uh, yeah, let's explore that. And more and more of our churches are thinking, you know, we'd perhaps like to set up a hub. I and mean, it's good to, you know, just to keep multiplying. The point I'm making is this. We, we are caught up in something God is doing. And that's ever so important. We understand we are always responders. We are never initiators. It might feel like we've had a good idea, but actually the... the, the the orchestration of the providential affairs of man from the heart of God have gone on behind that so that you even came up with the idea you came up with through the discussion, the prayer, the prophetic leading, the, the seeking God, the talking together. All of those things, behind all of that is the providential tender care of a Father in heaven who loves us. Now that's important not just for enough, for the prayer things, but it's important for all of life. Whatever we find ourselves facing and dealing with, I can guarantee you won't understand everything that happens in life. I've given up trying to do that. But I do know this. The more I know him, the less I need to understand. Because if I know I have a providential, loving, caring, tender, heavenly father who loves me far more than I even can imagine he loves me, even though I'm worse than I think I am. If I know that, then the mysteries of life I can leave with him. As I often say, Jesus died with a Y on his lips, but that he pushed through that. He, he pushed through that to finally say, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know, there was a... He wrestled with why. Why have you abandoned me? But nevertheless, into your hands... This providential overshadowing of our lives, all, all the journeys of our lives, how we came to know Jesus, your history, your background, your present, your future, all of that is in the tender, loving hands of a sovereign God. To get the sovereignty of God deep as a foundation in us is essential. I don't know how a Christian lives without a robust grasp of the sovereignty of God. I'd rather wrestle with the why questions than wrestle with the sovereignty. Because that's safe biblical ground. God is sovereign. This Canaanite interaction was the result of the sovereign dealings of God before any of it took place. That doesn't mean that we're in fatalism or it's determinism and we haven't. The, the mysteries of how it all works don't, don't, don't go there. The Bible doesn't go there, so why should we? The Bible just tells us what God does and how He is and that He controls all. All things for his glory. All things work together for the good of those that love God. And behold, there was a Canaanite woman. Behold, we have an enough prayer meeting. It's a bit like some sort of magician without a rabbit and a hat. You know, you pull both out. It's just, there's something. And behold, we're, we're in something that God has, has started. And I believe this is a major priority for us. Co Large-scale corporate prayer... I believe, is our priority as a family of churches at this present time. And I thought about something the other day. Do you know, there's always, uh, often a lot of talk about numbers in church life and how big is your church, how much has your church grown? And, oh, yeah, I understand why we do that. Um, 
Well, no, I don't really understand why we do it, but we, we do it. Uh, we do it. Do you know, the only time Paul ever is concerned about numbers in local church life is how many are in the corporate prayer meeting. If you can find another reference, then show me I'm wrong. But the only one I can find is in 2 Corinthians 1.11, which is our launching verse for enough. You also must help us by prayers so that many will give thanks to you on our behalf in answer to the prayers of many. It's the only time I can find where Paul specifically leverages numerical, um, the, the, the numerical need for effectiveness. Now, he does talk in Thessalonians about, I'm trusting that as your faith grows, that you know, everything will grow. He, he does want fruitfulness and growth, but he's, only when he's talking about corporate prayer does he talk about numbers mattering. That's why unashamedly I feel justified in saying we had 2,000 last time, I want to get to 10,000, right? If I was talking about church planting or the size of my church, that would probably, I think, be an invalid desire to exclaim in that way because I've got no New Testament warrant for that. I do have a New Testament warrant to say I want thousands of people praying, so do you. Now to get thousands of people praying, guess what? You need churches of thousands, so it does come, but there's a reason why corporate prayer in large scale is important. The prayers of many make a difference. They really do. That's why I'm trying to just use this little session to motivate us. Get everybody you can find that is capable of being there and bring them. Even if you have to pay them, get them there. Because prayer meetings are not the first thing people sign up for, but I've, I have not yet, I mean there may be people who haven't spoken to me yet about this, but I've not yet heard someone who went to the enough thing and didn't enjoy it. I've heard people who say, well, it could have been better here or better. That's fine. That's different. I've not yet heard anyone who went there with a little bit of trepidation about how am we going to pray for a whole half night, who came back and said, you know, that was rubbish. No, nobody said that. Most people who are not used to praying, we even had all our teenagers came, and one of them did a little article for the magazine afterwards, and she's about, I think she's 14, and she said, I didn't know what to expect, but I loved it, and I can't wait for the next one. A half night of prayer at 14, teenage girls, and I cannot wait for the next one. Now, to me, that says God is teaching us how to pray together. That's, that's exciting. Andrew Murray says, Let Christians awake and hear the message. Your prayer can obtain what otherwise will be withheld and can accomplish what otherwise remains undone. If ever there's a motivation to be it enough, it's that. <laughs> if you don't pray, it ain't going to happen. What about the sovereignty of God? No, in God's sovereignty and liberty, he has determined that he will only move in answer to the prayers of his people. That's his free, that's his free choice to do that. So our contribution is, a, is an act of worship to God's instruction. That's how it works. So I, I feel for some reason he has put this upon us. He wants us to do it, and it's actually really quite key for the way forward. Now in verse 22, uh, we notice that uh, um, she says to him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Um, there's a specific prayer, but there's no answer. If you just stopped at that verse, if the, if the next few verses weren't there, 
there would be a well-articulated prayer, specific prayer, you know, a theological prayer, a good prayer. That's a good prayer. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. She says what she wants. She knows who she's coming to. She's made a good prayer. Nothing. Other stuff happens before there's a response. We've got to teach our people that delay in prayer is sometimes normal. And even Jesus taught about what happens um, when we don't immediately get an answer. He taught the thing about the widow going at night and knocking on the door and keep knocking and keep knocking. Jesus taught us that at times we will pray things and there appears to be silence from heaven. So we've got to help our people when we go to an enough prayer meeting and when we really put in some hours of prayer for specific things and perhaps the next time we gather, there doesn't seem much to have happened on something. That doesn't mean nothing is happening. There was definitely something about to happen because of her prayer. If she hadn't have said that, then the interaction wouldn't have started. Do you, do you follow that? Right. She, she came to him, said what she said, and actually the disciples did the very thing that... Um, I mean, they weren't a good advert for a prayer meeting. They said, send her away. She's crying out after us. In other words, she's praying too much. She's praying too much. She's too noisy. She's too persistent. It's irritating. Send her away. She's gone beyond culturally acceptable limits in her requests. She's, I would love us for enough to become beyond culturally acceptable limits of a prayer meeting. Wouldn't you? So that people who are a little bit religious or a little bit kind of stuck in their ways say, oh, go away, it's too much prayer. I, I, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> Just to almost kind of stir it so much that people think they've gone crazy. But no, we're just like her. We're just pressing our case. Next thing is in verse 25, she came uh, before him and she said, Lord, help me. Now, if ever this is, uh, there's something to learn from this, it's this about prayer. In three words... She said what she needed, and she got a response. Three words. I think many people in our churches feel, over, feel intimidated by prayer because they think, I don't know how, I'm not very good with words. Uh, I don't know how to craft it. I listen to someone next to me who I think, well, that was really good. But I was going to pray that, and now you've prayed it. And I can't say it as good as that, so I'll just go quiet. We must get hold of this and say, no, all she did, I mean, she knelt before him. There was kind of like a, it was her heart that was praying. And all she said was, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And that was enough to move the arm of God. Lord, help me. We don't have to have great big theological um, paragraphs sometimes. It's just, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. In verse 27, I want to just look at Jesus' interaction with her, because um, this, is, this is a strange thing. This is a strange thing. So she comes and prays, and um, in verse 24 he says, uh, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. 
So she comes, says, Lord, help me. He answers that by saying, it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She comes again. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Um, William Gurnall says this. Uh, she caught the bullets that Christ shot at her and with humble boldness shot them back again in her prayer. <laughs> I like that. She caught the bullets that Christ threw at her, shot at her, and with humble boldness shot them back at him. Now, why did she do that? You see, what we don't know in this story is how Jesus said it. We don't know. I mean, so he could have said, um, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. He could have said, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to dogs. We don't know if he said it like that. Or he might have said it slightly more playfully. He might have said, uh, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. Come on, a bit more. Uh, it's not right to take children's bread and toss it to, to dogs. The thing is, we don't know how he said it. Only she knows how he said it, and he knows, and those who listen to him know how he said it. So how he said it isn't important. What was important was this. She knew him. She knew him enough that however he said it, however it came over, however outwardly the circumstances looked as if he was responding, she knew his nature and character enough to push back. Now this teaches us a lot about prayer. When we look at what's going on, and perhaps it looks as if the providence of God is quite dark surrounding us, and we perhaps even feel, oh Lord, you're not answering, I don't know what you're saying, I feel a bit distant from you, I don't know how you are about this, and uh, do you really love me, is this okay? It, it, when providence can appear a bit dark, the thing that gets us through is knowing his nature and his character. Because if we know who he is, and how he is, and his consistency, then actually, even if providence looks a bit dark around us, we can come back like she did and say, yeah, but even dogs eat the crumbs. Because how did she do that? She, she knew that there was a kindness in him that couldn't be quieted. So however it sounded to her, she, she thought, no, 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 you're not like that. No, you're not, you're not getting away with that, because I know, I know you better than that. I know you better than that, Jesus. I know you better than that. I know you're kind. So, even the dogs get the crumbs. What are you going to do about that? There's, there's, something, there's something that's tenacious about her. Why? Because she's confident about who she's coming to. She thinks, I, he's not going to rebuke me if I, if I just push a bit more. He's not going to rebuke me. Why? Because I know him well enough to know he's not like that. And here's the question. Do we know God well enough so that even when we're praying about serious weighty matters that appear perhaps not to have, a, have had an answer or appear to be shrouded in the mysteries of, of, of confusion and, and veiled providence and we, we think, oh goodness, why is this happening? Why are... Do we know him well enough just to push back and say, well, whatever that looks like, whatever it sounds like, I know you're kind. I know you're kind. So I'm going to push back at you. I'm going to push back at you because I know whatever that looks like, 
I know you well enough to know that is not you. That's not what you do. You do this. Do you get this? Because this, this is the heart of, in, of corporate intercessory prayer. It's not the words we use. It's not even the posture we take. It's not even the length of time we give to it. It's the confidence and the certainty we have concerning the one we're coming to. That's why I love reading devotional literature. I love reading the great saints of old who knew God so well and just write things about him with such poetic um, insight that when I read it, I think that's helped me just with a little bit more light about his kindness, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his justice, his gentleness, his steadfastness, his his faithfulness. Things that help me know God's nature and his character are like gold to me. I'm not interested in techniques. I want to know him. Because if I know him, then the techniques actually, you know, they're very secondary. This wasn't a standard prayer meeting. When we're not used to Jesus, imagine you prayed and you said, Lord, help me. And he said, why should I help you? What would you say back? Do you know him well enough to think, no, no, you're not like that. You're, you're, you're actually testing me. You're testing me to see if I really do know you. So would you say, well, Lord, excuse me. I don't know why you just said that, but you're not like that. So help me. You get it? It's like having a robustness about us that says, I, I mean, even Job said, even if he kills me, I'll still love him. Why? Because he's lovely. <laughs> so it's, it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter what, you know, I, you can't change who he is. I may not understand everything, what's going on, but you can't change who he is. So she knew that if she pushed through and was a bit winsome, appealing, winning, captivating, engaging. She knew that if she pushed through in that way, she would actually draw out his real nature and his real character. And because of that, in verse 28, Jesus says, woman, great is your faith. Now, here's the definition of faith. The definition of faith is not so much what can you believe for. The definition of faith is how well do you know the one you're asking things of? Because it's actually, the, the greater comprehension of the one you're coming to actually makes the issue pale into insignificance because of his greatness. So if we strain at the issue and think, can I believe that will change? Can I believe? Can I believe I could pray and that will change? We're not even looking at the one we're asking to change it. We're bypassing the main engine. Faith is in the person, not a resource to apply to the situation. And so he says, woman, great is your faith. Because he knew that she knew more about him than even others around her did. There's something for us to... Wouldn't it be wonderful if at the end of however long these enough prayer meetings go on for, wouldn't it be wonderful if across our family of churches we felt that everybody knew God better. So that the, the confidence in his nature, his character, his, 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 his ways was, was, a, was at a higher level. So instead of people saying, oh, I don't know if God loves me, 
We don't hear that because we think, well, of course he loves me. I know, I know him too well. I know him too well. I know him too well to be able to question his love or his tenderness or his kindness. So that's kind of about all I want to say. And the point of it is when we come to the Enough prayer meeting in, in June, um, those of you who are involved in, in, in leading or commenting in any way into the ones you're doing, let's try to leverage this a little bit so that we try to get people more and more confident in who we're coming to rather than even the scale of the things we're asking for. So, Father, I just, I'll just pray for us. Father, I just want to ask you that you would make us like... This Canaanite woman, she, she teaches us a lot, Lord. She just knew you. She knew what you were really like and just pushed back. Lord, and I pray, give us courage to push back when it looks like, well, nothing really happened or we don't really understand it. No, give us confidence to push back on the basis of knowing who you are, knowing you well enough to be able to say, excuse me, Lord, you're not like that. Lord, help us to know you really well so that we can ask bold and big things of you which we know please your heart. So we ask that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'd like us to actually do some, some praying. Now, actually kind of put this into practice and come, come to God and ask him, some, ask him for some big things. So I'm just going to ask... Uh, Clive and Heather just to come and share a little bit about this situation. There's a couple of other things I'd like to pray for as well, but um, I think this it's an opportunity for us to really pray together for uh, them. So I won't say any more. If you want to come out and just say uh, uh, your story and things we can pray for. There's a couple of microphones there. Great. It's wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much, Mike, for inviting us to this great gathering. We recognised quite a few faces um, from the years back in when New Frontiers was the way it was. Um, for most of the last 10 years, we've been in the Middle East, in uh, Dubai and Doha, and we came back and we were treading water a bit. And the good thing about having a teaching certificate is you can jump back into teaching and tread water. So last year, we were both teaching uh, in Eastbourne, where we live, and uh, out of the blue, uh, a wonderful job came up for Heather. And this was right in central Brussels. If you know Brussels, it's, it was Etterbeck, which is right next to Le Saint-Contenaire Park, which is right next to the EU Parliament. NATO is just up the road. And it's very strategic in terms of uh, where it is in Brussels itself. And uh, so Heather applied for this. I will blow her trumpet for it. It was a senior management post in a very prestigious school. We went out last April to scout about. We were very um, excited about Brussels itself because it plays to our strengths in terms of uh, what we'd done in Dubai. It's very cosmopolitan. I was shocked to see what a big Muslim community there is in Brussels. Um, allegedly, it's around about 30%. And um, I speak a bit of French, so does Heather. And we felt, Lord, are you calling us to this? So we're pushing doors at this point. We'd been uncertain about what we were going to do next after the Middle East. And um, this clever lady lands the job. And um, whilst she's out on interview, um, I'm wandering the streets of Brussels, praying and seeking God, saying, Lord, is this the door that you want us to walk through? Above me, there are military helicopters buzzing, and the police are putting up roadblocks, you know, big 
gendarmes walking around with Kalashnikovs. This is the day that Obama's um, political diplomatic team turned up in Brussels to meet the Chinese Premier's team to talk about President Putin annexing the Crimea. And they're in Brussels at this point. The place is on lockdown. And I'm thinking, man, this is really buzzing place. Pushing the EU politics to one side, and we've just had a general election, let's do that. Um, basically, um, whatever one thinks of the EU, Brussels is a strategic crossroads in Europe. And it um, really throws our switch. So. Heather accepted the job. We, we continued to kind of explore Brussels a little bit, came home, easy jet, 47 minutes to Gatwick. And um, then we resigned our teaching jobs in the Easter holidays. And then literally, about three weeks later, out of the blue, um, Heather, had been, you've been feeling discomfort in your tummy, and we find that it's advanced liver cancer uh, already before she even knew that she had it. So this is three weeks after we've just... Um, what found what we thought was God's leading into Brussels. Now, we still feel very much that's the case, which is why we're here as well. But maybe you'd like to say something about where that treatment's going. Yeah, first of all, I just want to thank everybody for all the prayers that we've had because we've had so much prayer from um, so many people around the world and, and all the people here. We've been so appreciative. It's just been wonderful to know God's grace and uh, God's peace through all of it. And he, he has really been alongside us and uh, really close. Um, uh, but I just wanted to update you on the actual, um, uh, what's going on at the moment. So uh, basically, um, I've had three lots of chemotherapy. And um, so I've just come to the end of the third lot last week. And, and God has just been so amazing through all of that. And he's really helped me through all of the, uh, the in, in fact, I've had very little side effects at all, so that's been a real answer to prayer, and he's just got me through it all. And um, and now that they've basically said the last result is that uh, the last result last week was that um, the uh, growth has shrunk a little bit more. It's been shrinking a little bit each time, um, but it's still only shrinking a little bit. Um, and basically, I've got three months off chemotherapy now over the summer. And um, which is a real blessing. So we, we're basically free of that for three months, and uh, we just keep believing that you know God's going to do even more than that, and uh, we're going to be free of it altogether. So that's what we're really asking God for. I feel that the prophetic word to us is to do what you wanted to do before this thing happened, and to dream with your eyes open in broad daylight. So we're not dreaming asleep with our eyes shut. We believe that. This is what we should be pressing into, and we're not prepared to let go of this. And wonderful, terrific word, Mike, to us. I mean, it spoke volumes to us. So we're pressing back saying, you know, Lord, we know you're kind. We know we, we saw some amazing things happen in the Middle East. We know what you're like, Lord Jesus. We know what your heart is for these cities and, and you know, for the towns and the nations that we serve. And we are not accepting this as something which shuts us down and so with your wonderful support as well uh, we just want to pray on and push on and continue to dream our dreams in broad daylight we believe you know to press on and go if we possibly can and uh, so we're we're engineering all our way of living with the hope that that's what we're going to do so all other considerations are still aside as we press on
So those of you who were at the leadership conference last year, remember we prayed for Clive and Heather, their picture came up on the screen, and we started to pray for Brussels Church Plant, which is, I mean, we still feel that that, that God did speak to us about that. Um, but I also remember Keith Hazel saying to me two or three years ago, he said, the moment you put your foot into Belgium, look out. Uh, he said there, there will be... Um, warfare things that you will have to uh, deal with of another level um, and he said that not not in a kind of a not to sort of try and minimize God but to maximize awareness of the battle uh, and he said that over the years they had tried to plant and work into Belgium many times and constantly found themselves being um, thwarted in different ways so he, he said don't be unaware now Putting all the mysteries of everything to one side, I just want to simply to come to God like the Canaanite woman said, Lord, help me. Lord, help them. Lord, help us. It's actually quite simple, but we're coming to one who can do all things. So what I want to do is if we could all stand together, um, I'm going to just invite one or two folk to feel free to, to pray uh, for Clive and Heather. I'd ask one or two of you who've had recent experience in praying, particularly for cancer, just to come and help us with that and just lay hands, because I do believe in impartation. I do believe that if God's some... We can all heal the sick. Uh, we can all be involved in that. But sometimes God puts a particular anointing on people for a season. And so I just want to make you feel free. That's not to make you feel like it's all about you. and you've got, you know, it's, No, it's just giving you opportunity to just let the grace gift that's on you overflow. Right, it's just an overflow, right? I'm going to muster something up. It's just an overflow. So let's, um, let's spend a little bit of time just waiting on God in there. I'd like to invite you just lift your voices, begin to pray, begin to pray for Clive and Heather, and then one or two, if you want to come out and lay hands on them, and then lead us in prayer, feel free to do that. Let's be open to the prophetic. But let's make our requests known to God. Let's learn the things that together we're, we're beginning to journey in.